All right, we're going to be in 2 Corinthians 12. We're going to do things a little bit different tonight because I really would like to finish up 2 Corinthians 12 and 13. It flows together very, very nicely. And for some reason, it just kind of seems like everybody is just a little out of it tonight. So this is a nice, simple, straightforward lesson. It actually reminds me, I don't know if you remember when you were in school, be it back in elementary school or in college, if you ever took one of those classes that was just a very simple pass-fail class. You didn't really get a grade, either passed or failed, or remember back in elementary school, you either got the S for satisfactory or the U.S. for unsatisfactory. That's kind of like tonight's lesson. There's not a lot of gray area. There's not a lot of middle ground. You're either doing good or it's something you need to pray on and work on too. And that's kind of the simplicity of tonight's message. So for a Wednesday on the last July Wednesday here of the year and everybody seems a bit tired and a bit wore out, Nice, simple, straightforward lesson that I hope encourages you as we finish up this great book of 2 Corinthians. So you remember the background of 2 Corinthians. Paul wrote this book, obviously, after he wrote 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians was not received real well by the church of Corinth. So therefore, what happened was they didn't like what Paul had to say. So since they didn't like what Paul had to say, the people who didn't like Paul did something very simple. They just attacked Paul's character. They said, we don't have to listen to this guy. This guy's really not an apostle. This guy really is not called by the Lord. So just ignore his book. It really doesn't mean anything. Now, just a quick reminder, since this is the last lesson in 2 Corinthians, jump back to 2 Corinthians 7 real quick. Because the key verse, key verses, I should say, to this book are found in chapter 7, verses 8 and 9. It says in chapter 7, verses 8 and 9, For even if I made you sorry with my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it. For I perceive that the same epistle made you sorry, though only for a while. Now I rejoice, that not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance. Paul said, yeah, I was straightforward. Yeah, I hit you a little hard, but it was worth it. Because I was willing to speak the truth in love. I was willing to be honest. And we've said numerous times in our study in 2 Corinthians, Paul was willing to be the bad guy. Well, what happens here at the end of this book is Paul's making his final points. For the last couple chapters, really from about uh, chapter 11 all, Paul has been kind of on the defense of finally defending himself when it comes to his calling as an apostle. So what he does here through the first few verses, really verses 14 through about 18, he goes on and he's talking about money. And he's talking about how when I came to you and, and talked to you and spent time with you, he goes, I didn't take anything from you. I didn't take anything. And he kind of comes and says, if I really was just trying to take advantage of you, wouldn't I just try to take your money? Look at verses 16 and 17. But that be as it may, I did not burden you. I didn't take any money from you. Nevertheless, being crafty, I caught you by cunning. Did I take advantage of you by any of those whom I sent you? I urged Titus and sent our brother with him. Did Titus take advantage of you? Did we not walk in the same spirit? Did we not walk in the same steps? Paul is saying here, I came into you, and I only came because I loved you and I cared for you not to get anything out of you. I didn't want your money. I didn't want to put you as a crown in my, a jewel in my crown. Titus didn't try to get anything from you. The only thing we cared about was you growing in the Lord, verse 19. Again, do you think that we ex excuse ourselves to you? We speak before God and Christ, but we do all things, beloved, for your edification. That's the key passage for tonight. That last phrase in verse 19. We do all things, beloved, for your edification. Now, how simple is that? Now, some of your translations don't say edification. It says strengthening. I like edification a little bit better. Because edification means to build up. Yes, it means to strengthen, but edification means that you walk away from this person, build up deeper in the walks with the Lord. 
We had a few families here recently move out of the congregation, move to different parts, different states, I should say, and we had them for a season of life. And Rich and I were talking as we looked. It's always sad to see somebody move out, but at the same time, it's such an encouragement to say, wow, when they first started coming to Harvest, they were at spiritual state A, and when they left, they're at spiritual state B. Not because that we did anything. I don't want to make it sound like that at all. But for the season of life they were in this church, we hope, verse 19, they were edified. They were built up. They were encouraged. And I hope that they walked away stronger in their lives and their marriages, etc. Simple thing for tonight. We only got about 20 minutes left. That's all. But I hope in 20 minutes you're a little more edified than you were when you came in here. Probably not going to be anything deep or astounding. No huge light bulbs are going to go in your head. But yet at the same time, there's a moment where you grow and you say, I grew a little bit today in my walk and relationship with the Lord. That's edifying, just building on that. And so whatever ministry you're in, some of you may lead up a small group study. Some of you may be in a prayer group. Some of you just may have a, be in a Bible study itself. Stop and ask yourself spiritually, the people that I run into on a regular basis, am I edifying them? Am I building them up? Am I encouraging them to go deeper in their walks with the Lord? Because the flip side of this is found in verse 20. For I fear lest, when I come, I shall not find you as such as I wish, and that I shall be found by you such as you do not wish. Lest there be contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, backbitings, whisperings, conceits, and tumults. Now stop there for a second. Think about the relationships you have with people. Think about your home life. Think about your co-workers. Think about your people in your group studies. Think about all those type of things. Very simply put, this is the pass-fail part of this lesson. Are you either doing verse 19, edifying them, or are you doing verse 20? Contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, backbiting, whisperings, etc. That's pretty black or white. How would people describe you? Would they say, you're somebody that edifies me. You're someone that builds me up as I go deeper in the Lord. Or you're the person that's always starting the contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, etc. It's a pretty black and white thing there. Paul says, I want to edify you, verse 19. I don't want verse 20 to come. Too often, verse 20 happens in our relationships with others. Too often it happens in our studies or our co-workers or in our marriages or with our kids. And instead of edifying one another, we end up really tearing each other down. Turn, if you will, real quick to Ephesians chapter 4. This is one of my favorite verses. And when I do uh, premarital counseling with couples, we do a session on communication. And I take them to Ephesians 4, and this is the only passage we need to go to to talk about, about uh, communication is Ephesians chapter 4. Because there's just a few short verses here that says everything you need to know about communication. Ephesians chapter 4. Very simply put, are we edifying or are we tearing down? Ephesians chapter 4. Let's go ahead and look here in verse uh, 29. This is one of those refrigerator verses. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary, what? Edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed by the day of redemption. Look at verse 31. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away with you with all malice, and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God and Christ forgave you. How simple is that? I mean, seriously, how simple is that? Verse 29. Look at the words coming out of your mouth. Are they edifying and imparting grace to people? Or are they, verse 31, bitter, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking, malice? I mean, it just blows my mind sometimes when couples come in and we sit down and we talk and we hear the words coming out of their mouth and you stop and you say, really simply put, hey, as a Christian, is that the way you want to talk to another believer? Is that the way you want to talk to your brother and sister in Christ? Yes, you may not get along. Yes, you may be fighting right now. Hence, go back to verse 26, be angry and do not sin. I'm angry. 
But I can be angry and not allow my words and emotions to control me. And I look at my own life. Sometimes I look at the way I react, and my reactions are very flushy, and I thought, man, I'm living right now in verse 31 where I really need to move back and live in verse 29. Simply put, are we edifying or are we tearing down? And even our passage in Corinthians talks about this. Jump back to 2 Corinthians real quick. Verse 10 of 2 Corinthians, verse chapter 13, sums it up very nicely too. Look at verse 10 of uh, chapter 13. Therefore I write these things being absent, lest being present I should use sharpness according to the authority which the Lord has given me. Look, for edification and not for destruction. It's either edifying or it's destroying. That word literally means the destruction. It literally means demolish. Have you ever seen a building be demolished? I mean, it just becomes rubble. It becomes worthless. It becomes useless. And isn't it a fascinating when you watch these buildings being demolished? How long does it take to build those buildings? They can be demolished in seconds. Same thing with relationships. It takes weeks, months, years sometimes to rebuild a relationship and grace, love, and mercy, and it can be destroyed in one five-minute argument. How many times in your marriage, in my marriage, in our lives, in my life, has an evening been ruined by a 30-second conversation? It's just demolished. It's tore down. Then you spend the whole rest of the next day trying to build it back up. This is what it's talking about. How simple is this lesson? Pass, fail. Are you, in verse 10, edifying? Are you destroying, demolishing, tearing it down? One of my favorite verses to quote is Proverbs 14.1. says, A wise woman builds up her house, a foolish one tears it down. And to me, that verse is so simple and straightforward because that's either what you're doing. You're either edifying, building up brick by brick, your marriage or relationships, or you're tearing them down brick by brick. And I'm telling you right now, it's a whole lot easier to tear down than it is to build up. But this is what Paul is trying to tell them. He goes, what are you doing? Are you trying to edify are you trying to destroy? Which one is it? Because the goal, the goal of this passage tonight, the goal that really Paul is trying to tell them is found in verse 11. He goes, finally, brethren, farewell. Become complete. Be of good comfort. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And that of God of love and peace will be with you. That idea of become complete. Now, some of your translations translate it become perfect. I think the better translation is complete because when it's talking about is it's talking about maturity is a complete man and woman of God. That's the goal is to become complete, put together. Other translations, one of them I do like says it's supposed to grow to maturity. Now I like that one because that's what Paul is saying is you're supposed to keep growing. Very simply put, are you growing in your walk with Christ? We, we had a lesson on this a couple Sundays ago where just look at yourself spiritually now to where you were a year ago. Have you grown in the Lord? And we use the example, I remember my boys, and I told you this before, we got the little marks in our uh, closet where you can go look how much they've grown. It's really easy to see. You've grown X amount. Spiritually, it's a little bit harder to see that, isn't it? But the point is, are you growing to maturity? Are you complete where God wants you? Is your marriage there? Is your relationships with your coworkers, with your kids? Now, the one translation I'm not a real fan of, not trying to pick, it doesn't say complete, it doesn't say perfect, it doesn't say grow to maturity, it says, finally, brethren, something to the fact of aim for perfection. I don't really like that one because it almost sounds like Paul saying, just try. Just, just make a good attempt at it. And isn't that a lot of times what we do as Christianity? I tried. You know, there's this coworker and he's really difficult to work with. So I went in there and I really tried. And we think because we tried that it's good enough. We aimed for perfection. Hey, I gave it a shot. I went six hours without yelling and screaming. That's a lot better than what I did yesterday. I only made it five. I aimed for perfection. Or you know what, I, I, I haven't done X now in three weeks, so I'm doing pretty good. And what happens is we have these little standards. Well, you know what, I've done three weeks. Well, now I'm going to shoot for four weeks and five weeks. We're aiming for perfection. We're really God and Paul is saying here, 
No, keep growing to maturity, become complete. Generally speaking, now some of you that are a little bit older may disagree with you, me on this, you don't usually shrink. You keep growing. That's the goal. But yet what happens is sometimes in Christianity, it's the proverbial three steps forward, two steps back. And we think because we're doing halfway decent, we're doing okay. One of my favorite quotes is was a quote from Johnny Cash. And Johnny Cash said, I may be a C-minus Christian, but I'm still a Christian. And there's a lot of truth to that. He's in. Pass, fail. He's in. But let's not shoot for C-. minus. <laughs> you know, we're supposed to be growing to maturity. We're supposed to be becoming complete. And I think what happens sometimes as Christians, because I see it in my life and I see it in other people's lives, we accept the fact that I struggle with this. I struggle with that and I struggle with this over here. But I'm really good at this, this, and this. So therefore, overall as a package deal, I give myself a strong B, maybe B+. Plus. I'm doing okay. That's not growing to maturity. That's not being complete. That's just accepting the fact I'm good at this and bad at this, but my good outweighs my bad. No. God says, I want you to be complete. Everything, the full package, what Christ wants you to be, and that's how he wants you to be, is complete, perfect in that type of sense. And so that's why verse 11 is so great. Once again, this is another verse to put up on your fridge. Can you imagine if we lived out verse 11? If you made verse 11 your verse here for the next couple months, Become complete, be of good comfort, be of one mind, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. That's that simple. That is really just a great thing to do. Is I, Lord, I want to be comforting to others and be comforted by you. I want to be one mind. I want to be one mind with the body of Christ. No division. I also want to be one mind with Christ Jesus. I want to live in peace. How many of you right now would just be happy to live in peace? And the God of love and peace will be with you. That's a promise. God says, I'm with you. And so what happens is we have to look at this verse and say, that's what I want. Now, let's stop for a second here and catch our breath because we've got a couple more points. This is, if you will, the, the good side of the message tonight. Hopefully it's encouraging. Edify, not destroy. Build up, not tear down. Grow in our walk with, our, with Christ. Verse 11, become complete. And go deeper in the Lord. That's what we're shooting for. Now, the problem is not everybody wants that. And that's what we have to talk about here now. But does anybody have any quick questions, comments about anything we've talked about thus far? Yeah, Megan. Well, let me, let me say a couple things to that. Number one, I'm not asking for perfection. Um, oh, okay. God is asking for perfection. If you look at the mission statement that God has given you, in Matthew 5:48, he says, Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. God set the standard of perfection. And I think what happens is, is God expecting us to be perfect? Well, he also understands we have a sin nature. But the problem we run into as humans is if we accept the fact that we're just going to keep sinning, it almost then becomes okay. And that's where we have to be careful that we don't get to that point of, I am only human, you know, so it's, you know, you can't expect me to be sober every day. I'm only human, you know. You can't expect me not to steal every now and then. I'm only human, you know. You have to, and, and Jesus says, no, I've asked you to grow and shoot for that goal of maturity. I mean, what would happen, and you know, you got kids, and I got kids, you know, if people have kids here, what would happen if you told your kids, now listen, keep it to one felony a year, just one felony a year. N no, don't do anything. No felonies, no misdemeanors, no nothing. I expect you to be a law-abiding citizen. And the problem is spiritually, we think like, well, you know, that wasn't too bad. I know people who do a lot worse than I do. Heavenly Father has said, I want you to be perfect. And he goes, I'm not leaving you empty-handed because he says, I'm also giving you the Holy Spirit to live inside of you to help you live the life of completeness in me. Remember that word perfect literally means complete. That's what it literally means. God wants you to be the perfect human being. How many times do we say this with, uh, when babies are born? They have ten fingers and ten toes. 
What you're really saying is they're complete. They're perfect. And that's what God is saying is, James, I want you to be the complete man of God that I've called you to be. Yes, I have sin nature and I have an advocate with the Father. If I sin, God freely forgives me through Christ. But still, God wants me to live that life that is a picture of Jesus. Does that make sense? Okay. And no felonies. So just remember that. So, Anybody else got anything here before we move on? Okay. Well, here's the tough part. Tough part, Paul is writing this letter to the church of Corinth. And verse 20, there were contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, backbitings, whisperings, conceits, etc. That's what was going on. Well, look at verse 21. Lest when I come again, my God will humble me among you. And I shall mourn for many who have sinned before and have not repented of the uncleanliness, fornication, and lewdness which they have practiced. That, that word really hit me there in verse 21. Paul says, I realize some of you don't want this. He goes, I realize some of you want to live in the flesh. You want to have, right there as it says, uncleanliness, fornication, and lewdness. And note verse uh, 21 there, which they practice. Practice means a habitual thing. They were living this lifestyle of sin. Now what's Paul's response to this? Paul's response in verse 21 is he says, I, I mourn for them. Some of your translations say grieved for them. Good old King James says, I bewailed. Best translation is actually bewailed. Because this word literally means to cry out in that moaning, whining voice. Paul's heart hurt so bad for them living in sin that he was bewailing. He was mourning. He was grieving. He was wailing because his heart broke for the lifestyle they were living. Now, the reason I spend a little bit of time on this verse, because this just let's all be honest. Our heart usually doesn't break when we see uncleanliness, fornication, and lewdness. Most of the time, what does our heart do? We get very judgmental and angry. That's what happens. Our heart doesn't sit there and say, oh, they're making bad choices. My heart breaks for them. I wish they could make better choices because I want them to have peace and love. Usually our heart says something to the fact that, well, they know better. This is the lifestyle they chose. So if that's the lifestyle they chose, then they need to suffer the consequences and just accept the fact that's what's going to happen. Paul's heart doesn't say that. Paul's heart says, I mourn for them. I mourn for them. You know, and it, how often do we jump to judgment instead of mourning for them? Real, real quick story on this, a um, little bit of background here. kind of shows the power that uh, my wife has, and you don't want to mess with her. Um, we really, and it's not a bad story for once. It's a good one. Um, Dawn really, really wanted to go to uh, Cedar Point. And we haven't been to Cedar Point. I think we figured up in 11 years or something like that. She really, really wanted to go. And as you know, it's very, very expensive to go to uh, Cedar Point. And we also have four kids, so it's kind of like how are we going to work this out? So she decided she wanted to go to Cedar Point. Our anniversary is coming up next week. And uh, she said, I want to go to Cedar Point for anniversary. And so she started working on trying to find a way to get tickets to go to Cedar Point, trying to find the cheapest deal she can. She couldn't find any cheap deals. So anyway, she ended up winning tickets to Cedar Point. I don't know if she prayed about it or what, but she ended up getting tickets to Cedar Point. So we went to Cedar Point uh, Monday. So Dawn and I went. We, we had a uh, family watch the kids. And so Dawn and I went to Cedar Point, which is a whole other story on its own because I don't ride rides <laughs> at Cedar Point. Um, and before, I, people always question my manhood. It's not because I'm afraid of rides. I'm afraid of getting sick on rides. They don't scare me. I just don't want to throw up on my wife or somebody else. And so I don't ride rides. So what we do is I go through the line with her, and as we get to get on the rides, I just walk right on through, and Dawn rides the rides. Anyway, you can laugh at me all you want, but that's what we do. So we went to Cedar Point. And Dawn rode the rides, and I walked around with the bags and, and was eye candy or something like that. So, But what happened at Cedar Point is Dawn was talking to somebody else that will remain nameless in this church, and they were talking about the attire that the women were going to be wearing at Cedar Point. 
and about how the attire at Cedar Point is not good attire for, for ladies to be wearing, and basically it's just a lot of stuff that you don't need to see. And so the one person was saying about how uh, they didn't want to go to Cedar Point because they know if they go to Cedar Point, they're going to see things they don't want to see, and they're going to come across, and they're going to have a really judgmental, angry attitude. And my wife's response to that was, I don't have a problem with that. She goes, I'll be judgmental towards them because that's the way that my wife is. Point being is what I'm trying to say is how often, and I'm not picking on Dawn, but how often do we do that in, the, in that attitude? Is we just do it, we're judgmental. You know, I don't think anybody here, myself included, is going to walk around Cedar Point bewailing and moaning those young girls that probably need to learn to dress a little bit more appropriately. Instead, we sit there and we roll our eyes and say, I can't believe their parents let them out like that. And that's what we do. Paul, his heart breaks for him. Wow, we can learn a lot from that. We can learn a lot from Jesus. The day before Christ was crucified, what did Jesus do? He wept over Jerusalem. Now, the day before sometime was going to crucify me, I wouldn't be weeping over him. But that's what Christ did. He wept over Jerusalem. And so be it the girls that aren't dressed appropriately, that guy at work that's a real jerk, those people that you can't stand. So often we sit there and have this really angry attitude towards them where Paul says, wow, he goes, I mourn, I bewail, I grieve for them because that shows they're not where they're supposed to be spiritually. And we really need to have to have a better verse, I mean a better mindset. Does this mean that we then don't call sin, sin, and we don't put our foot down? No, that's not what we're saying. We can still call sin, sin. We can still put our foot down and say it's wrong and it's inappropriate. But gosh, really what it is, it's just really sad that that person acts that way or talks that way or lives that way. And Lord, our hearts should really break for them. That's what Paul is saying here. Help us to have that attitude, Lord. Because what it comes down to is, Paul is really saying to the church of Corinth, hey, are you edifying or are you destroying? Are you complete and mature are you, or are you living in jealousies, outbursts of wrath, etc.? Is your heart broken over sin or do you just say, hey, it's okay, we're trying, we're aiming? So really what he sums it up with is verse uh, 5 of chapter 13. He goes, examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you unless indeed you are disqualified? What a great verse to really stop and think about. Paul says, take a look at yourself in the spiritual mirror. He goes, are you really walking the way you're supposed to be walking in Christ? If not, you've become disqualified. Some of your translations say you failed the test. For you good old King Jamesers out there, it has a word that I don't even know how to pronounce. Reprobate. I didn't know how to say it. I even looked it up online, and I couldn't figure out how to say it. I have never used that word in my life. Reprobate. So I know what it means. So... Basically, what Paul is saying here is, take a look at yourself in the spiritual mirror. Do you see yourself growing in Christ? And if you don't see yourself growing in Christ, he's saying, did you fail the test? He uses this word in the New King James, disqualified. King James says reprobate, and some of yours says failed the test. But he uses this word in verse 5, in verse 6, and also in verse 7. How many times have you heard us say this out here? God is not bad with words. If he's repeating a word again and again, he's doing it to get your attention. What Paul is trying to say here in verses 5, 6, and 7, he goes, are you living the life? Pass, fail. Are you living the life? That's what it comes down to. Because if not, you need to stop and say, what areas am I weak in? What areas do I need to work on? So therefore that I can become, verse 11, complete, mature, perfected in the Lord to become everything that he wants me to be. Last thing I'm going to say about this chapter is it is difficult to live the Christian life. There's no way around that. It's hard. Remember, Paul said back at the uh, beginning of chapter 12 in verses uh, 9 and 10, 
And we sang the song tonight, and he said, He said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I'd rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and needs and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. And we talked about that last week. At your weakest point, you're really strong because at your weakest point, you realize, Lord, I can't do this. And that's where God says, I know. He goes, you just realized that, but I've been trying to tell you that forever. You can't do it. And so actually when we're weak, that's where we're at our strongest because when we're weak, we realize it has to be all the Lord. Well, he repeats this point in verses 3 and 4. Look at chapter 13, 3 and 4. He goes, since you seek, seek a proof of Christ speaking in me, who is not weak towards you, but mighty in you. For though he was crucified in weakness, yes, he lives by the power of God. For we also are weak in him. We shall live with him by the power of God towards you. I like that verse because Paul says, yeah, you are weak. You're really weak. I'm really weak. We can't live this Christian life on our own. How hard is it to hold our tongue, to not be judgmental, to edify and not tear down? To live at peace and not live in destruction. It's tough to do. But what Paul says in verse 4, he goes, Christ lives in you, so therefore the power of God lives in you. Paul is telling the church at Corinth, he goes, you guys can do this. He goes, it's tough, it's hard. He goes, I've been hard on you. He goes, but you can do this. And I know how many times in counseling I've said to somebody, they said, Pastor, I can't, I can't. Yes, you can. Because the power of Christ lives in you as a Christian. You can do it. Hence, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens me. And maybe sometimes we have to reach a point where we say we can't to really realize we can. When I'm weak, I am strong. That's what Paul is trying to tell the church at Corinth here. So this ends our study in 2 Corinthians. Great little chapter or two to end on where Paul brings out these great points. Edify, don't tear down. Live in peace, don't live in destruction. Mourn for those that are not walking in the Lord. Let your heart break for them because they need to go deeper in Christ. And he goes, take a look at yourself in the spiritual mirror. He goes, are, where you, are you where you're supposed to be in the Lord? If not, do what needs to be done to move forward in that because the power of God lives in you and you have the power of Christ in you to live the life that God has called you to do. Great stuff to end on. Does anybody have any final questions, comments here before we go ahead and close up with a word of prayer? All righty. Well, let's have a word of prayer here. Then we will uh, go ahead and let you guys go. Heavenly Father, we come to you just thankful to be here tonight. Just pray, Lord, that we would all just practice what was preached tonight through your word to truly go out and live the life and all that we say and do. Lord, we want to be complete. We want to be mature. We want to live in peace. We want to edify. Lord, we no longer want to live in lewdness and destruction and tear down. And Lord, we realize for those that are going through difficult times, your strength is there and your strength is made perfect in our weakness because you are enough, Lord. Your grace is truly enough. We love you, we thank you, and we praise you. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, you guys have a good week and God bless.